Welcome to Webinecki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Webinecki Windows is a monthly show featuring Webinecki perspectives, topics, and opinions, as well as interviews with Native artists, writers, and people of interest. Today, we'll be talking once again, this is probably like our fourth or fifth show uh, on the mascot issue, and uh, particularly uh, focused on the... Uh, Skowhegan event. And today uh, we have Dr. Uh, Darren Ranko, who's director of the Wabanaki Center at the University of Maine, Orono, <clears throat> and uh, Ambassador Molly and Dana uh, for the Penobscot Nation. Um, and uh, we may at some point in the program, or we may not, it depends, uh, have uh, Representative uh, Ben Collings joining us for a, a uh, bill that he's putting in, um, and that just depends on the legislative session. Uh, so, so let's open up our discussion this morning, uh, and we want to talk a little bit at first, kind of like review as to why the mascot issue is so important uh, to the tribes and uh, what's so wrong with uh, a uh, school or sports team having a mascot, and I'm just going to let uh, Ambassador Dana answer that question. Take your turn, and then we'll go to uh, Dr. Ranko. Sure. Um, we all know I've been at this for a little while now, <laughs> and uh, I, I come at this a couple different ways. Uh, when I was a teenager, I got involved in this movement, and it was a very kind of angry uh visceral reaction I was having to these mascots. You know, I saw them uh, being used at high school sports games and people using feathers and headdresses and fake dress and fake war paint in a way that hit me in a very hurtful place. You know, I had been raised to see these things as respectful um, or to be respected and to see them mocked and misused uh, spurred some you know, bad emotions in me. So as a teenager, you're not quite uh, mature enough to deconstruct those and understand where they're coming from. So I kind of took that raw emotion about it and throughout the years in my activism learned the deeper reasons why these are harmful and why these are wrong. And it comes down to, you know, we have this cultural identity and it's not anyone's to steal. And in the identity isn't just kind of the prideful things and, and the brave warrior aspects, but it's also indigenous people live with a lot of trauma and we come from a place of, you know, we're trying to heal from generations of mistreatment of our people. And But it's also indigenous people live with a lot of trauma and we come from a place of you know, we're trying to heal from generations of mistreatment of our people. And when you have people from outside of our group try to steal these things and assume our identity without accepting the whole picture, it really minimizes our experience and uh, creates this invisibility of our actual voices. Plus, we have the whole issue of the, the stereotypes that they promote and... You know, when people are comfortable with these stereotypes but not comfortable with our actual uh, experience as Indigenous people, that really leads to, um, you know, some racist behaviors and attitudes when we speak out against it um, and just this real culture of, of disrespect towards our people. And I think that uh, taking it even further, um, 
you know, when you're seen as not human, when you're seen as an object, it really leads people to treat you that way. You know, we have the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women. And, you know, when we go to these mascot events, I ask people to wear red because that's become kind of the symbol, you know, the red dress is the symbol for these indigenous women whose cases go unsolved, you know, whose perpetrators are rarely brought to justice. And the mascot thing may seem like a silly or fluffy thing, but it really leads to this idea that we're not humans and that we are disposable. So there's a whole lot um, to back up why these are harmful and why these are wrong, even without getting into the the scientific scientific studies um, and that kind of data. Well, speaking of that, (laughs) Darren, weigh in here. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think, you know, the the history of this sort of subject and, you know, I think one of the questions that um, people uh, like Molly and and myself get asked um, are things like, well, no one ever cared before or, you know, you weren't offended, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, There's a little bit that's not entirely true, first of all, um, that we've been asking to be seen as human for quite some time. Um, and the mascots, if you've been around any of the images and the way they're used both, you know, in any of these kind of sporting events is is absolutely um, uh, distasteful and wrong in, on so many levels. But um, the, the, the history of this uh, actually goes a little bit towards sort of our understanding of how uh, these mascots are actually harmful to Native children in particular, although they actually are harmful to other children as well, and we've learned more about a lot of this in the last 20 years. Uh, starting in the early to mid-90s, the um, American, American Indians Psychological uh, Association, uh, which was just a fledgling group of a, a handful of Native people who were psychologists, um, started to investigate what um, these kinds of stereotypes and mascots um, and that embody them, what what the actual impact um, on the um, psychological well-being of Native children uh, is. And um, the studies took some time, and they were done very well and, and um, um, used, you know, all the best sort of scientific evidence. But over the course of that first decade, from 93, 94 to 2004, 2005, there was enough um, published work and evidence that led the American Psychological Association to ask for, uh, you know, the complete removal of these kinds of mascots. Um, and it's really based upon this science. And since 2004, 2005, um, we know even more uh, in terms of the studies that have done and looking at um, the harm of these kinds of stereotypes on uh, Native children, um, how it creates, and, and you know, the context is really important to this. So, um, not only are we the only group of people used in this way as mascots, um, but there are also very few images of Native people in popular media and representation. And that actually, uh, I bring that up because the the ability of stereotypes to harm people is directly related to how much other images of positive role models and diverse sort of states of being we actually have in popular media. So um, that's a really important part of this discussion is that there are no TV shows I'm aware of on you know mainstream <laughs> TV of Native people. There's no, we don't have a lot of recognizable celebrities or athletes that we can sort of point to, unlike other groups um, who are stereotyped in, 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 
in equally harmful ways, but the impacts on Native people are actually greater because we don't have that ready. Um, and, and that's also one of our political challenges as Mullian faces these issues um, going forward. And I just wanted to sort of name um, three of the areas in which the science is sort of um, proven the impacts. And I'm always uh, shocked that this didn't just destroy the debate altogether. We don't sort of think, oh, well, we now know secondhand smoke um, harms people. Uh, and no one allows that in a, in a school that I'm aware of. Uh, I just, it's just the idea that the science has not just sort of ended this conversation absolutely because I know I've read so many of these studies and proving it that it's just hard to, sorry, a fun thing. Um, so one of the areas of where we actually can see the impacts of the presence of these stereotypes and mascots in a work and educational setting has to do with performance, actually. So if, the, if a Native person is exposed to these kinds of mascots and these kinds of stereotypes in a consistent way in their place of work or education, their test scores will go down. Um, and we can do that. There are any number of ways to sort of measure that um, through psychological experiments. The second uh, piece of this is has to do with self self-esteem and community worth. We can measure someone's self-esteem and community worth. And again, when Native people are exposed to these kinds of stereotypes, these kinds of mascots, their ranking of relative self-esteem and community self-esteem, right, community worth, those both go down. Now, the way these things are measured, the person doesn't know um, that their performance is less <laughs> compared to another situation, right? So. Uh, I often hear from, and we all know uh, some Native people who are like, although I think the percentages are always misrepresented, um, but there is the odd cousin I might have who says, they don't bother me. And actually, um, the people who don't think they're being harmed actually are, are generally harmed even more because they don't have a resilience about the impact of those stereotypes on them. So that's been studied, and that's a more recent finding is that um, people who are actually like, I hate mascots, they don't represent me, they're actually harmed a little bit less, actually, yeah, a measurable amount less than people who are just like, I don't, I don't care about it. Um, and then the last thing, and this is where uh, it's really uh, been most documented, this is the first set of studies had to do with um, possible selves, um, how Native children understand themselves into in their lives towards achievement and goals. And that was the first set of studies that the American Indian psychologists started to do was to really, and it was, part of it had to do with in the 90s, we were actually just starting to understand how to measure possible selves. And it actually had a lot to do with other sense of well-being, uh, how successful a student would be, how uh, about, you know, as, as, a, as a student, how successful you would be in your career, et cetera, et cetera. So, those that sense of possible self, in a, in a, which is defined as an achievement-related future, um, uh, is really one of the we have the most evidence about that, especially with mascots in educational settings. The other studies uh, also are are in both work and um, and uh, educational settings, but the educational setting around possible selves is really profound, and it's been proven again and again over twenty years. So when you, when you think about that, you know, the self-esteem issue and the possible mm -hmm. self, and you look at the, uh, the, the suicide 
rates among the native youth. That's really high. I'm not sure what the stats are on that. Yeah. But I know it's higher than uh, than average. Uh, and also now uh, in our communities presently is the opioid use. And um, I wonder how much that has to do with the, the self-image and the possible self you know, stage people, you know, they just want to escape. They're not, they're not, they don't feel good about who they are. And, you know, and as we know, when, when, when we hear about Native people or Indian people, what you see is feathers and headdress, and uh, you don't see them as, as they are today. Uh, it, I mean, and I, I'm not saying, I'm not kind of dissing our, our traditions, but, you know, we do live in the current world, and we don't wear garb every day, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're right, Darren, about, uh, about the shows. I mean, <laughs> there's shows, there's Hispanic shows, series, and then there's a lot of uh, African-American shows now. Uh, there's, no, I don't, there's no Native shows, none. And you know, and when you look at, uh, well, we're, this this uh, radio show here is probably one of the very few rare uh, in Maine that that has a whole hour talking about a native issue. Mm-hmm. So we are sort of uh, invisible in a in a certain way. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> back to the, back to the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, now the Skowhegan uh, community event. Um, well, you want to talk about that, uh, kind of s- try to start when you, when you first had dealings with them, and I'm sure that's been a few years. Right. So the Skowhegan um, Indian mascot is the last high school Indian mascot in Maine. We've had some cases recently of Warriors mascots that were using uh, feathers and imagery and stuff like that, you know, in Wells and Nokomis. And they both over the past year have uh, decided to phase those out. So Skowhegan really does kind of stand alone. And the issue has been kind of bubbling under the surface probably since the early 2000s. You know, they used to have uh, the things that I witnessed on TV with the cheerleaders, you know, leading the crowd in war chants and wearing the war paint and the feathers and all that. and, And people dressed up like, quote-unquote Indians kind of dancing around and being foolish. And they were kind of, um, you know, identified as a school that was really taking this to the next level and being blatantly offensive and disrespectful. So they did a community survey in the early 2000s, which is kind of a hilarious read if you ever <laughs> need the, need some entertainment. Um and some of the people said some very kind of ignorant and backwards things, and that's to be expected. But a lot of the people in the survey were like, well, yeah, if this is a problem and if people are offended and they're telling us we're not honoring them, then let's make the change. So there was enough kind of resistance to the mascot in the town for them to remove a lot of those practices, a lot of the imagery, but they still have this uh word Indians. And I think that that leaves the door open for a lot of that behavior to come back. And and we're seeing that now. So in 2015, we kind of 
reignited this, um, you know, need for communication and outreach. And they've pulled together a committee of Wabanaki people. Um, Darren and myself were both there. And there was like 12 people, all different tribes, ages, genders, professions, uh, with, with really specific outlooks on this issue. We had things from just very personal stories um, to more intellectual takes on it. And I, I think a really strong case was made in this committee for change in the mascot. And we presented to the um, school board's policy on our uh, committee on policy, I think it's called. So after that, they decided to take this to a public forum. And this was in 2015. And they asked us to kind of organize people and bring people back over so that we could have this exchange of ideas. And then two days before the forum, they changed the rules um, so that only residents of the district could speak or representatives to the legislature. So why do you think they did that? <laughs> so that... And, and who, who do you think did that? Uh, I think it was driven by a few school board members that are also in the group Skohegan Indian Pride. And I think it, I know it was a way to kind of keep it in an echo chamber so that they could all um, talk about why they're so proud of that mascot and why they want to keep it and to really silence the voices of the indigenous people who you know, wanted to show up and ask them to change it because they had heard from 12 or so of us beforehand. So they knew what we were kind of armed with if we came back. So um, the tribe, the Penobscot Nation at the time had recently pulled our representative to the legislature so we didn't have one. I asked the chief to kind of authorize me to speak on this issue. So he, uh, Chief Francis, sent me to the forum with a letter uh, signed by his office authorizing me to speak on it in lieu of a tribal representative. I tried to present that at the forum and was removed from the microphone by a police officer. Um, so that's how the first public forum went. <laughs> <laughs> nice, very, very receptive. <laughs> right. The, the good thing about that forum was I think there was about 100 people that spoke and just over half of them were in favor of changing the mascot. So a lot of people in that town really want to do the right thing. And I think Skowhegan gets a, a bad rap sometimes. So that there, there is a lot of good movement there towards change. So a few weeks after that forum, uh, they had the vote at the school board level, and it was 11 to 9 to keep the mascot. And there's obviously rumors, I can't fully substantiate, that there was members of the school board um, threatening that they would make it so that the town couldn't pass a budget if they removed the mascot. There's, you know, just kind of some dirty um, politics at play, I think. Um, one of the school board members yelled to the crowd that the taxpayers would pay for the changes if they changed the mascot. So it was a very ugly room and a uh, very uncomfortable situation. Uh, I left the meeting and people were yelling things at me in the parking lot, telling me to go the expletive home. Um, so Skowhegan left a, a pretty awful taste in my mouth for a while. And in the years since 2015, there's been some really public battles, you know, based on the mascot. We had the scalp towel, the hunt the Indian. Um, definitely, there, there's been a dark cloud over everything. So I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> because um, there, was, there was people in the town that I've been in contact with throughout the years, and there's kind of this bubble of hope that maybe this might be a nice chance to bring this back to light. And even if we couldn't do it through the channels there, that maybe there would be support in other ways to make this change happen. So 
I was able to coordinate all of the tribes of Maine to sign on to a formal request asking Skowhegan to please revisit this issue and um, finally make the state free of Indian mascots. So I presented the request at a school board meeting. Um, the school board meeting after that, I had another chance to speak, which which I am thankful for because uh, I know how it is to be silenced there. And uh, we also had members from the Penobscot Nation Youth Council show up and talk about how they view um, you know, other kids playing Indian when they are Indian their whole lives. And so that meeting, I think, went well. And at, at that school board meeting, they decided to make it an actual public forum. And I actually spoke out of turn uh, and raised my hand and yelled and asked if, if it would be an actual public forum or if they were going to change the rules two days beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they assured me that, that it would be open for all public comment. So that brings us to... Uh, last week, I believe, last Tuesday, where um, they held the public forum and I think 70 people showed up and spoke in favor of changing the mascot and eight people showed up um, and spoke to keep it. So it was a resounding success, an overwhelming uh, movement of support for getting rid of the mascot. And I'm I'm looking forward to where it goes, I hope. <laughs> so... Uh, Darren, you attended some of these, right? Sure. The mm-hmm. What was your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a lot of, um, I mean, the the overall work uh, of this, and Mullion is, you know, so much better at it than I am, um, and probably um, doesn't give up as easily as I do, uh, in terms of trying to, you know, kind of impact the hearts and minds of, of folks. Um you know, I think there's only s- there's there there are good people there, and and I think I, I think the number of sort of hearts and minds we can impact is 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 has shrunk. I mean, like meaning that I think over the last three years, I've s- I get the sense that more people are with us in that context. I don't think those people are currently in a dis- in decision making um power kinds of, of situations and i think it's very hard you know I, people get dug in um it, it's uh difficult work I, I think um sometimes we do these things and, and you know this from your work in the legislature and other places it's like maybe it's the next generation or maybe it's something else i'm not giving up on it per se i'm just i i, I try to be realistic that when people dig in and are offer um, a kind of willful ignorance, you know, a, a purposeful, you know, meanness, which is sadly, I think, um, our politics right in this moment has not, um, we have not benefited from, uh, you know, a different political moment where, wherein I think um, it is far more. People are pridefully uh, mean <laughs> in this moment in defending what I think they consider to be their sort of, you know, rights to positions that are harming other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this moment is is a particularly difficult moment to do this work in. Um, that that said, I think others are mo- are mobilized by this moment in, in uh, on the opposite side of it to say no in fact that's not the society we we want to be in i don't 
want to be part of a community that is um, willfully harming people or doing something that is on purpose. We know that this is disrespecting to them and it is on purpose. We will do that in a way. And, you know, we've all seen the messages sort of in the, you know, the Skowhegan Indian Pride Group or, I mean, they take a perverse pleasure in knowing that this will harm someone. I don't know a whole lot that you can do with that energy um, in terms of education or or anything else. I mean, we can, I think it's upon us to call it out, um, but it's it's so everywhere at this particular moment. I don't, you know, I hate to wax philosophical, but I think we have this, it is this particular moment. Um, I think being clear in what we're asking for and, and Mullion and others are great at that and why it is and going back and doing that through the work of diplomacy, I think is, is always our best bet. I, I, I don't know if that's going to lead to a particular kind of decision uh, in that space. But, you know, I, it could be that they, you know, enough of the local people are just like, well, we, we'll just vote them all out. Or it, mm. It's hard to imagine <laughs> in Skowhegan, but, you know, I mean, a lot of things are hard to imagine, and two <laughs> years later they happen. So. Sure. Uh, let's just back up a little bit, uh, Molly, and you mentioned the, P- the Penobscot youth mm-hmm. spoke. Can you remember anything that particularly uh, that stays with you that any of them said? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, it was Skylar Louie, uh, who I take so much pride in. I actually coached her in basketball in middle school. She's just a really um, bright, forceful young lady, and she'll probably have my job someday, I hope. <laughs> um, she... She stood up and, well, I was given two minutes to speak um, at the school board meeting and I knew that the youth council was running late. So I kind of was uh, stalling a little bit and saying what I needed to say, but speaking slowly. And I saw them come in and I made it a point because uh, there was a speaker's list and I knew they weren't going to be on it. So I, I made it a point to kind of hand it over uh, to them while I was speaking. And, you know, Skylar stood right up and spoke very clearly. And this was a room of about, about 100 people. And some of them are wearing um, Skowhegan Indian Pride T-shirts and um, there are some signs being held up. And, you know, the school board's huge. It's like 30 people. So it's definitely, uh, it's not the, the friendliest place to be. So... She started off by saying, you get to be Indian for four years and we're Indian our whole life. And I think, you know, in the days following that, so many people commented to me on how powerful that was. She said, we have socials, we have community gatherings, we speak our language, we know our traditions. She goes, you don't do any of that. She goes, so you can't call yourselves Indians, so please stop. You know, that was kind of the gist of her whole speech. And just very, um, I think a lot of times in this work, we get tone policed. You know, people tell us, we, we'd like your message if you were a little nicer. <laughs> you know, like, you're, you're coming across aggressive. And, and what I saw in Skylar was just a very, um, it, it wasn't a disregard for, for that kind of thing. It was just she, she's so new and fresh that she doesn't know about those things. So she, she was very unapologetic. And it, it was so refreshing to me. And I, I made a Facebook post a couple of days ago that this work can really harden you mm-hmm. and you can get um, discouraged and you can be, you can get defensive even about people in your life um, that are on your side and on your team. You can get kind of snippy and, and you're just always on guard. And seeing young women like that 
And there was young women at this past forum that go to high school at Skowhegan that spoke up and said, you know, you are embarrassing our school and our town. You know, we go to school here and we are sick of this racist behavior and you are supposed to represent us and protect us as students and you're not doing that. So to see these kind of fresh, unapologetic, um, forceful voices, but they're still in a, in a deep vein of respect um, and class, I guess, intact, is really refreshing and, and great and takes a lot of the burden off of a lot of us activists that are getting old doing this. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting old yet. Believe me, you've got many years to go. <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned, and, and you did too, Darren, about the the political atmosphere nowadays, and particularly all over from the federal government all the way down to mm-hmm. to local. And uh, Molly, and you've, and I know this, you've been getting some pretty mean uh, messages on Facebook from mm-hmm. people in Skowhegan. Do you have any uh, examples of those that you might be able to share. <laughs> I do. There, there's some swear words in some of them, yeah, well. <laughs> um, but so I won't say those. Don't worry. Um, I actually got one the other day. I, you know, in Facebook, you have a, a folder for your messages from your friends, and then you have a request folder. So that's people that aren't connected with you can send you anything. And and I don't look at that often because it is oftentimes filled with things I don't want to read. And I happen to glance through it because sometimes it's people actually that I need to uh, connect with. And this woman. Um, well, I guess I can read it to you for dramatic effect. Um, she basically asserts that I'm, I'm not a full-blooded Indian and I don't look like I am. Um, so that means that maybe I can't find it. Anyway, I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version. She said, you don't even look full-blooded. Um, I know people who are part Indian that look more Indian than you. Uh, you obviously didn't grow up on Indian Island. Your father doesn't live there, you know, making certain assumptions about my family and where I come from. And then she ends it by saying, I don't mean to be mean. I'm just asking for questions. (laughs) (laughs) So she doesn't. You know, and and I I chose to, to use the message as a moment to say, you know, look what mascots do. She's comfortable with the stereotypes. She's comfortable with, you know, the Lando Lakes Butter Lady and then the um, Washington logo and the Cleveland Indians logo. You know, we're the brain of so much of America is that we're supposed to look like this certain thing. And if we don't, you know, it, it's like they don't know how to categorize us. And and I do have dark skin and I do have brown hair and I do have brown eyes and, um, you know, to, so I can't even imagine people without those characteristics that are just as much native as I am or, or more. And, um, you know, facing this this thing of like, well, you don't look like that. So we're not going to, you know, your your experience as an indigenous woman, you know, <clears throat> I did grow up on the reservation. I, I have served on tribal council. I have worked in the community. I raised my children there. I own my home there. I am, you know, come from two very strong Penobscot grandmothers and families. So to invalidate my whole experience because I don't look like her mascot is troubling stuff. And and I'm glad that we talked about the high suicide rates and the uh, opioid problems and the addiction and the disease. Because I think a lot of times in this work, people will say, well, don't you have better things to do with your time? Don't you have bigger fish to fry? Don't you have... Um, 
you know, real problems to deal with. And this is a real problem. It's a spoke in the wheel of oppression and everything affects everything else. You know, it's like this web that we are caught in and this stereotypical harm uh, matters a whole lot. Um, and we need to stress that. It's something that Skowhegan Indian Pride likes to do whenever there's a story about an overdose on Indian Island or a meth lab or, um, you know, those kind of tragic events that we have, they say, well, look at this, you know, don't, don't, shouldn't they be worried about this? Doesn't that ambassador need to spend her time fighting these problems? And it's disrespectful on so many levels. Um, and it, and it'll make you angry if you think about it too much, but, um, you know, so they want to throw these problems in our face, but they're not willing to accept their part in the continued harm and oppression of our people. Um, and that's wrong. You know, at the forum, one of the speakers said, uh, well, they use the word Indian. They call themselves Indian Island. She goes, I opened up the paper and there was a death and a meth lab on Indian Island. So they're willing to go so low as to, to use our tragedies to try to, to make their argument clear. And it, and it really um, kind of shoots themselves in the foot because it makes them look uh, very low and disrespectful, which is what we're claiming anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, as far as other messages, I, you know, worthless, piece of trash, um, they need to uh, trade me for beaver grease and pass my body around a teepee. Um, you know, a lot of things that they say that nobody in my community actually likes me and they think I'm a troublemaker. Um, you know, a lot yeah, of things. Yeah, I mean, these are people that, <laughs> that want to honor us, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. Darren, any comments? <laughs> well, it is... Um it's not surprising. I mean, there, there are a lot of things in the Skowhegan context that are hmm, that are difficult um, in, in engaging these issues. And I think um, one, a major one, and when I talk to my psychologist friends about it, is um, uh, the fact that there is this um, very large statue uh, in the, in which no one has ever asked for it to be removed or anything. You know, no one's going after that. But I actually think it. It primes people. It, it's 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 a really an abstract. It doesn't really look like a person, but it has um, exaggerated features that you might see in contexts of mascotism or representations of mascotism. And I just wonder if that wasn't there, if people weren't primed like every day driving by at like the in in a I. I'm pretty sure they think of it as their Indian or the mm -hmm. Indian, and it defines so much of their lives. And and again, there's nothing in and of itself that is particularly bad about it. Um, but again, without the larger context of many images of Native people uh, in their community, in their media, you know, representing them and on the school board, you know, like it just. It just, I think it's overwhelmed their attachment to it. So this is a very real sort of set of identities around it, um, which kind of allow for this, the hatefulness to kind of build up around it. And and it is it is absolutely without irony. That leads mm -hmm. for people to say, I'm honoring you. And, as a, and to throw something in your face like an epi opioid epidemic or whatever, it, um, particularly troubling issue, like it, per, someone honoring me would, be like working on that day and night. You know, like mm -hmm. no one, I don't hear them saying, can we come and just help, you know, like 
work on these issues. We, we honor you and, you know, the Indian thing has given so much to our community and it's upon us to help and honor Indians in, in meaningful contemporary way. You know, like mm-hmm. that will never happen, but actually honoring in any definition of it would include action like that. And and so it's it's so angering to me <laughs> to think that the hypocrisy is isn't even that it's very thin. It's like a thinly veiled mm-hmm. hatred and and a sense of we don't want to change because that's difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's um so it's but it, I mean we never get to these conversations. I mean as much as I. Um, don't do this very often. Like you engage in any online or whatever kind of conversations with people. You know that's that's obviously not going to influence anyone's ideas. I think we can call attention to things online and um, create sort of a context for action. But that's different than the action itself. And I don't know. I find it very, very uh, difficult because um, I think uh, both in my uh, training as an academic and our diplomatic tradition sort of teach us that there is a space for persuasive speech, right, in these particular contexts, and um, facts don't do it. You know, like, <laughs> uh, we have all the arguments. Like, we, we uh, on facts and on any number of arguments, um, it shouldn't even be a quote-unquote debate. And yet it it goes on. Yeah, you know, as uh, looking at your posts, I'm, I think it was Facebook, Mullion, where there was a uh, picture of, were they cheerleaders mm-hmm. that had feathers and uh, paint on their face and whatever. And I really liked what you said about that. Do you have that on your... Yeah, I do. Do you want to bring that up? Sure. Because I thought it was really, uh, really excellent what you, the response you had for that. Um, Like what I wrote about the kids? Yeah. Okay. I can read that. Yeah, I, it was shared with me from a resident of Skowhegan that didn't want to be identified. (laughs) (laughs) And we pinned the year down to 1972. Um, so it's a bunch of, of cheerleaders and they're wearing face paint and feathers and all that. And I said, this is not how feathers are used. This is not how war paint is used. These are not Indians. By assuming the identity of a group of oppressed and marginalized people who have been forced into invisibility through rape and murder of people, land, resources, and culture, you are perpetuating the harm and trauma against them. By taking sacred objects and mocking and misusing them, you pour salt into the very deep wounds. Five-year-olds were ripped from their families and taken to government institutions to have the Indian beaten out of them, not allowed to speak their language, see their loved ones, or be who they are. Some ran away and died frozen to death in snowbanks. That's the reality of being Indian. And you think you can steal that? You think you can be an Indian when babies died because they couldn't be? It's hard to hold in the anger all the time and have to constantly educate and explain why we are harmed by this, but this is what will open hearts and minds. You have a huge opportunity, Skowhegan, and we hope you take it. Well said, I think. Um, 
So there have been a number of champions that have come out, a number of allies, um, like the NAACP and the uh, American Civil Liberties Union have come out. Um, do you know of any other groups that have spoken in favor of the change? Yeah, there's been some um, educators of Maine that form these kind of coalitions. I think Suit Up Maine, um, and there was another one. And, uh, you know, so they're working in their kind of smaller communities. And I think educators are really key because they can speak to how these affect students and, and performance and kind of overall the, the health of the learning environment. And that's been really good. You know, the ACLU has been excellent in taking up this case. They were also very effective in the Wells mascot case. Um, and and I think a, a really powerful voice we're seeing emerge is the students of Skowhegan High School. And, you know, through their civil rights team, working with our youth council, uh, they've had discussions. And I think that you know, we, we've said years ago that they may be the ones that really lead this change and make a difference. Because if they're telling the school board, you're not effectively representing us <laughs> and what we want and you work for us as students, then I, I, I hope that that goes a long way. Yeah. And uh, Governor Mills also mm -hmm. weighed in on this. Uh, were you surprised to see the letter that uh, she sent? I was. Uh, in, in my capacity as ambassador, I've, I've had discussions with her about different things um, in the state and, and with tribes and such. And from the beginning, she was very much on board that these Indian mascots, you know, serve as a reminder of trauma and harm and, and that they have no place kind of in our state and in 2019. So, um, the day I was heading over to, I think, the, the second meeting I've been to recently over there, I, I got her letter in my inbox. Um, I was CC'd, and she had sent it, her office had sent it directly to um, the school board up there. And it, it's a very well-written letter. It's very thoughtful of the feelings of everybody involved, and it makes a clear case for removing the mascot. So we were very happy that she came on board in that way. Yeah, it, it seems that the other side wasn't so... <laughs> So happy with it. No. Nope. <laughs> um, she did, as part of her platform for the coming year, uh, I'm quoting this out of the, I think it's the Portland Press. Uh, she says, uh, I will work to remove once and for all offensive names for teams, schools, and mascots that have no place in a modern day society. So I think that's pretty clear. I mm -hmm. think we do have uh, an ally uh, at the top uh, office in Maine. So that's a pretty powerful ally, I think. Yeah, definitely. Or, you know, it's uh, in the political moment, maybe it's not good. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I agree. It sets a, a tone, I think, that we've been lacking for, for, for some time. Um, and, I, and so it, it's funny, like... Um, had this discussion like with your dad in terms of you know what are the what's the next steps in terms of the persuasive speech to kind of build up and I think leadership is a critical part of that um, I think also um, people right there's our freedom of speech right that everyone I think it's great you know I think people <laughs> should <laughs> this is a really important it's on the first amendment for for all the, the best and important reasons. Um, and I think this is where there's a disconnect, you know, that, of course, 
not all speech is um, protected through the First Amendment. So harmful speech, um, I mean, there's this sort of dicta that actually isn't related to how we understand the First Amendment, but people know the you can't yell yell fire in a crowded theater. That's actually um, taken out of context from a court case. But (laughs) that that said... So original, Darren. (laughs) But that said, um, right, um, when we have, you know, certain... Uh, and we and we hold up um, our public spaces to different standards than someone's private home. I mean, and, and that's that's driven through in our and in, in this idea of freedom of speech as well. Um, n- no one's asking for you know the removal of Skowhegan Indian Pride's paraphernalia from their homes or anything. you know that's not what we're saying is that schools are public spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone should be welcome in them and not have to face harmful speech targeted towards them in in, in these public spaces that they're we're literally requiring children to go to these public spaces and then mm-hmm. saying oh we're not sure if we can do anything about you know a set of we of harmful speech and expression that we know will harm you and cause all these impacts on you and i think so just putting on my sort of lawyerly cap around this it just I don't think people, I think, you know, we hold dear to expression and, and freedom of speech, but the context, you know, and, and freedom of speech actually makes no sense without a space um, free from harmful speech and the idea of counter speech. So one approach I teach in my class is that, you know, we could do other kinds of investments in public speech that allows for counter speech. So, for example, in Canada, they have the Aboriginal People's Television Network, which is actually, you know, state-funded. I know they go back and forth on how much funding they get from the Canadian government, and that's, you know, tricky. That said, you know, there there is at least an investment there nationally to have Native, Aboriginal, Indigenous people in the public airways that they're seeing this as a public good because it it creates opportunities for representation and counter speech and all sorts of things that here and i'm not saying that's what we should do in the united states but there are just different pathways or understandings to how freedom of speech actually works and how it doesn't make sense without counter speech or counter representation so any of the theorists around freedom of of expression will say that it makes no sense if there is just an overwhelming, you know, slanted view in all of representation and all of media, then that's actually also not freedom of, of speech, right? It just, just because there's no counter speech and that's really the public space is, is made healthy by the, the, the counter speech, as long as it is not right harmful or purposely targeting a group of people to create harm for them so what you're saying darren (laughs) is that there's no space from the native perspective for us to talk so in effect we're silent we're being forced to be silent and our and our perspective uh isn't being heard is that what you're saying, or are you uh, saying something else? Well, I'm saying Dumb that, it down for us. <laughs> uh, I, what I'm saying is <laughs> we talk about freedom of speech as if it was uh, um, something, 
equally accessible by all people at all right. times. And that is simply not true. So that's the, the, the foundation of what I'm saying is, but it, it actually, you don't have freedom of speech if, if your speech is also not part of and recognized as a part of public discourse. And I would say that's also true in terms of issues around representation. So we know from the studies, for example, that the harm created by these mascots is so much more because in the context, we don't have media representations. You know, So if you look at the American Indian College Fund, their, their campaign for a number of years was, have you met a real Indian? And, and they would show a picture of a, a doctor or a lawyer or an astronaut or whatever, and they're all native, right? And people are like, hmm, are those really? You know, like mm. the, it was a purposeful, you know, mind grab of space to mm -hmm. say this is a real Indian, but we don't see them anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. We don't see them in media, movie. I mean, even our movies that include Indians, the protagonists are always white. I mean, right. Wind River, there's a whole host of those. So... It's very difficult to find our spaces of where we are just being, um, we're being represented and ha have this opportunity for counter speech. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know if I dumped it down for you, Donna. <laughs> well, you lost me there. You kept going and going and going. No. Uh, you know, I so, only have a very short attention span here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that when we use our right to free speech, we're told, uh, you know, we're not going to change this mascot because it's our free speech. So we get into this, yeah. sure. you know, it's cycle. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when you run into something like that, that where people are just obviously hurting other people mm -hmm. and uh, there's, you've tried everything, everything for years and they're still going on, they're still doing it. What do you do to stop that? What are the tools that you have? Uh, and, I, and I will say that when I first was in the legislature, they asked me to put a bill in uh, to uh, not allow ma uh, mascots to be in public schools. And I said, I don't think that's the right course of action. I think we need to educate people mm -hmm. and bring them around uh, because otherwise it's going to be one nasty uh, backlash which is what's happening um, now in this particular community. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a bill that uh, Representative uh, Ben Collings has uh, put in, and I was hoping to get him on the line I think we can give ourselves a few more minutes. I don't think they have them on the line yet. Uh, but I think when all else fails, there are other options that you, you sort of have to use uh, to protect your, protect your children. Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, we have seen so many schools in Maine make this change. And it's based on that education and um you know, opening of uh, these lines of communication and all that. And, um, you know, I think Skowhegan is really holding on to this. Well, it's our tradition and it's our heritage and it's been a, a tougher nut to crack. Um, so I do think the right place to go, I, I, I see this because a lot of people are like, well, why are you going back over there? You like, you must like hitting your head into a wall, <laughs> you know, basically. So I see this as kind of their last chance as this school board, um, 
to come around and do the right thing. But there are certainly numerous other ways to make this happen. And uh, we're seeing in other places in the country, they're trying to get legislation passed at a state level uh, to ban Indian mascots. He said he will call in a few minutes. Yeah, so <laughs> he's busy We're writing that legislation. Though. Yeah. <laughs> well, right now uh, the legislators are just putting in titles on their mm-hmm. bills, and there's really no uh, substance yet to mm-hmm. those bills. It's just an idea, but right. they put the titles in uh, to sort of reserve that uh, that space so that they can fill it in later, and. Uh, Representative Collins has put in a bill. Who does he um, represent again? What? Portland. Portland. Yeah, Portland. I can't yeah, remember he's the from the Portland story. area, but yeah. um, he's done a lot of things with the tribes. Uh, Re- Representative Collins, are you there? Hello. Hey. Uh, this is this is Dave Smith in Belfast. Oh, I'm sorry. I think there's some confusion. Um, maybe I should get off the line so that uh, your call, your regular caller can get in. Okay, thank so. you. <laughs> sorry about that. Huh. Okay, so I thought that was Ben, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> so, um, without him, what is? do we have a sense of, is the legislation basically to ban the use of these i mean what uh, do you know mm-hmm. how he's formulating yeah it? it's just like a placeholder bill right now and I, I believe the name is an act to ban indian mascot use in maine or, or something mm-hmm. to that effect so we'll we'll work together um you know on the language and kind of the, the teeth of the of thing and we certainly know that governor mills would be supportive but i, I think it'll take some work um to get others on board yeah, yeah. and and i i mean and and donna and others had worked on um you know, offensive place names and, mm-hmm. and, and different um, kinds of legislation. So there's precedent, mm-hmm. you know, for that. Um, but, you know, it's, again, a different political <laughs> time. Mm. I, I'm, the, 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 the issues around uh, how people respond to, right, banning things is mm. always tricky um, right. in the politics. And I think laying out the case that, in fact, what we're banning is, otherwise harmful speech to children. Right. Um, hopefully people are against harming children. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was another think. another bill that mm-hmm. uh, Representative Soctomo put in. Mm-hmm. I forget the year now, but mm-hmm. um, he, uh, he banned the uh, use of the word, the S word, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as being yep. offensive in his legislation. And uh, when he told me he was going to do that, I said, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but he went ahead and, and he did it. And there was so much attention paid yeah. to that bill. It yeah. was unbelievable. You know, and, and, and the thing is, you know, sometimes you put in a bill and you think, oh, this, this, is, this is like a no-brainer. It should go right through. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's very uh, surprising. But uh, since we can't get representative callings on the line... Uh, he does have a placeholding bill, mm-hmm. and uh, it's LR 2188, and uh, it's an act to ban Native American mascots in all public schools. So that should be uh, that should bring up quite a bit of uh, testimony and conversation, and that should put that 
issue back out there mm-hmm. um, and hopefully uh, it will it will be approved and will be signed into law and then mm-hmm. we won't have all of this uh, uh, negativity well we'll have the negativity probably a lot of meanness but <laughs> uh, we won't have the mascot right so and, and I think it's important to do, even if Skowhegan votes to change the mascot, which I hope they do, um, I think this act would kind of close that door for any school that would ever want to revisit it um, and, and bring it back. Because, you know, in this era, as Darren has talked about, you, you really don't know how peop- how tight people are going to hold on to these kind of outdated and, and bigot views. So I, I think the act is a really good thing, even if Skowhegan does um, vote yeah. on their own. Well, it's true because, you know, you could always... Uh bring back to life some of this really ugly stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I think that's, uh, I agree with that. I, I would, you know, I, I just, I mean, if we think about it, you know, all this work that's been done by Molly and, and others um, and both Native and non-Native people without such a law, I mean, shows you, I think, the power of our position, uh, you know, both you know, legal, you know, philosophically, uh, um, healing-wise, mm-hmm. all the things that I think people who have put themselves out there and and I, you know, I worry about someone like you, Molly, and the the there's a sort of psychic tax to mm-hmm. this work, right? This um, issue of consistently putting yourself out there mm-hmm. for this seemingly, you know, borderline violent mm-hmm. kind of at least expressions of, um, um, you know, this feeling of sort of violence directed towards you, uh, I think is, um, you know, I recognize just, you know, the sacrifices that people who, who've done this work make and mm-hmm. uh, by putting themselves, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, as, a, as a, an academic, I'm so much more comfortable <laughs> and behind a little <laughs> keyboard somewhere mm-hmm. just writing my little... Thing. Obviously, that's not what I <laughs> primarily even what I do anymore. But um, I think it, it's it's you know taking this on uh, for this greater good and in, in terms of you know future generations of our children who you know hopefully will will not be exposed to this harmful mm-hmm. uh, these harmful representations in their schools is is just such you know amazing and profound work. So thank you for that and uh, the fact that I was at any number or <laughs> just a couple <laughs> of these events is you know it's really the people who go back and a- again and again that really do this um, amazing work and uh, there's an old saying you know it takes some real thick skin mm-hmm. to do this work mm-hmm. uh, and I have a nickname for you <laughs> I love it it's the honey badger yep. <laughs> just does not give up no it's vicious <laughs> It may look innocent, right? But not really. <laughs> so I think that uh, it does, and and you've done a, a tremendous job, and you've done something that uh, uh, it's 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 pretty amazing to to just keep this stuff up there on the screen, uh, so that people can actually see what's going on and mm-hmm. and uh, un- follow it and understand it mm-hmm. and recognize that hey, you know, this is going on. There are these. Uh, these feelings of, and I, I'm, I'm going to say racist feelings, yeah. uh, and and we still have it here. It, we really do. Yep. And I and I think if there's any good that comes out of this, it's that uh, you've sort of 
brought that to the top so that people can see it mm-hmm. and we can work on uh i want to say lancing it getting getting <laughs> rid of it right because it is yeah. it's horrible stuff yeah um you know, my children are nine and twelve, um, and that's a huge motivator. Is that they're they're about to be peers uh, with the children of Skowhegan, and you know, there's it, it definitely is hard. It takes a huge mental toll, uh, an emotional toll, and, and physical at times. Um, but that you know, knowing that they may have a, a state that is more welcoming and, and safe for them is, you know, yeah. so so that day. brings to mind the sign that Janet Mills wants to put up: "Welcome home." <laughs> rather than open for business. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I hope that she <laughs> <laughs> she follows through with that. I think that's great. Uh, not, not go away. You know, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Darren. Last words. Uh, well, I, I know you're, I, you're my last word was to... Tell me. us something we can understand. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to recognize the people who've done this work and mm-hmm. it, it just, yeah, the thickness of skin, but the, you know, the internal kind of hope and... Um, per- sense of purpose around it is is really inspiring um, for me, and you know I think that's what I would like to take away from all this work. And hopefully you've listened to us, and uh, we don't. We're really just asking to not have our children harmed. Right. It doesn't. It's not that complicated. Okay, Mullion, one minute. Absolutely. Uh, I want to thank everyone throughout the state uh, for all the support and kind words and uh, just helping this movement move along. You're making a huge difference. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Donna Loring, and you've been listening to Webinecki Windows. I want to thank my guests, Dr. Darren Ranko uh, and Penobscot Nation Ambassador, Molly and Dana. The music for our show is by Rolf Richter and a track called Little Eagles. Uh, and uh, join us again next month for another Webinecki Windows. <laughs>